before you get comfortable, would you stand for the remain standing for the scripture? It's gospel lesson is from Matthew, the 11th chapter, or be on the screen, starts in verse 2. Would you read it with me? When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. I'm David McNitsky, one of the pastors. I'm usually down the hall, but I'm real excited to come and uh, be with you uh, this morning. And uh, also very grateful always for the leadership of your leaders, uh, Pastor uh, Dinah and Daryl. As I was thinking about Advent this week and working on a couple Advent talks, all of a sudden I remembered a story that I read in the paper a few years ago. It was about a guy that around Christmas time broke into a house and stole a big screen color TV. And he would have gotten away with it, except he came back the next night to get the remote, and they caught him. Now, when I think about that, I think something akin to that happens to me almost every Christmas. I just reach for a little too much. And and I don't mean presents. I'm I'm at the age where I, I have more than enough stuff, and if I want some stuff bad enough, I'll go out and get it myself. And and I don't even mean food. I can uh, exceed my grasp there as well. But really more uh, expectation about this time of year. You know, this morning I was on my way to church and as you know, the roads were a little slick and across from the entrance to uh, my subdivision, I saw there was a wreck and obviously a person had rear-ended another person and the one who was rear-ended, I could see her standing by her car. She was dressed and obviously for church and obviously on her way. And the other uh, person was dressed very casual. And I thought, well, that's just wrong. The one that's on their way to church gets hit by one who's not. And uh, it's always used to bug me in in the paper where I grew up. They used to always put a picture of of the kid that gets his first deer or the guy that gets a a hole-in-one. And invariably it happened on Sunday morning. You know, my expectations are a little different than that. And when it comes to Christmas, I guess I'm pretty similar. And my expectations are, I think, well, Jesus is come, and so everything ought to be ought to be working pretty smoothly. Uh, all the cousins at our family Christmas ought to be able to get along with each other without difficulty for six hours. Uh, I think that, you know, we ought to not have to ask for money for the church budget. It ought, just ought to be there. I think that uh, people shouldn't get a diagnosis of cancer during this time of the year, and terrorists in Turkey and elsewhere shouldn't be setting off explosives. I, I get the, the sense, or I have the sense that if Jesus has come, things should be more in order than that. And I have this expectation that things ought to be better 
and other because it's Christmas time. I don't know if you've ever had the experience that that either Christmas or just life in general didn't meet up with your expectations, and it really caused you to wonder where God was in the whole situation. If you've ever found yourself in that position, then you're in the very position where John the Baptist found himself. In this morning's scripture, uh, we find John in prison in a place called Machaerus, which is uh, in in modern-day Jordan. And uh, John has made his career preaching and talking about the coming Messiah. He's even pointed out that Jesus is the Messiah. And now, seeing the Messiah, Jesus, come, but looking at himself in prison, he starts to wonder. Because surely, if Jesus is the Messiah, what's he doing in prison? And so he sends messengers to Jesus because he's got questions. And it's uh, Are you the coming one or should we wait for another is his question. And then Jesus answers him. Now, there's real interesting what uh, John the Baptist and Jesus do is they're really talking to each other this morning in a kind of code. And and it's not because they're cousins, in a sense, um, or, or their mothers are related. It's really that devout people of the scripture in Jesus' day, many of them had the Bible memorized what we would call the Older Testament. So it was almost like a game that uh, they could quote a part of the scripture and know you'd fill in the rest. And so when Jesus says, um, or when John sends a message, says, are you the coming one? Jesus knows immediately that that's from the prophet Zechariah. And the coming one means, are you the Messiah? And so Jesus shoots him back in code. Now, in Bible code, in a sense, but it's interesting, the code works two ways. One way is like, I'll give you a few words and you'll know the rest. So sometimes we kind of do that, don't we? Like we'll say the first part of a song and somebody knows the rest of it or, or we'll quote a line from a movie and someone will know the rest of it. I, I know I used to do that with um, you know, my kids uh, uh, when I was uh, uh, parenting them at home and they were all involved in tennis. I wasn't the best tennis parent, um, uh, but I could communicate. And so when they, would, when they would lose and come off the court, invariably they would say to me, well, Dad, I tried. And so going on the common movie knowledge that we both shared, I was able to say to them, there is no try. You Star Wars fans already know. It's Yoda. There is no try. You do or do not. Now, it's not great parenting. Uh, I didn't win any awards, but I didn't have to say the whole thing. They knew it. So sometimes it works like that. Sometimes the code works this way, though. It's like I'm going to give you all the verses and then I'm going to leave out one on purpose. And that's apparently what John is, uh, Jesus does back to John. The first code is, are you the Messiah? And Jesus gives him all these verses about the Messiah, but leaves out some pretty important verses. Jesus leaves out any verses that has to do with the day of the Lord, have to do with judgment, has to do with kings bowing down, have to do with uh, justice uh, and, and revenge. Anything that looks like that, he leaves out. Instead, he talks about verses from Isaiah 35 that talk about uh, the, the blind will see, uh, those who are lame will walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, those who are deaf will hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And so all these verses come from Isaiah 35, except the last verse is Isaiah 61. But interesting, as a part of the game, Jesus doesn't give John the next verse in Isaiah 61, which John, that's the one John really wants. I bet you might be able to guess what it's about. That when the Messiah comes, all the captives in prison will be let out. And Jesus doesn't give him that one. And so it's almost like in code, John says, are you the Messiah? 
And then Jesus answers, yes, I am, but I'm not here to bring judgment. I'm here to bring mercy and healing. And by the way, you're not getting out of prison. It's not God's plan. And so John is in prison with these expectations, and they'll continue to be unmet. Now, that happens a lot of times to us. We, we have expectations of God, and when they're not met, we have questions. And I want to tell you that it's okay to have questions. John the Baptist spent his whole life talking about the Messiah, and he had questions. And often our questions are an important step on the way to a deeper faith. But here's the problem for John the Baptist. His expectations led him not just to questions, but they led him to overlook and miss the things the Messiah was already doing. I mean, to me, it'd be pretty tough to miss somebody being raised from the dead. But that just sort of blows over John's mind. He can't even celebrate that because he's sitting in prison and he's thinking, if the Messiah is the Messiah and he's here, I shouldn't be sitting in prison. I think sometimes that's the danger of our expectations. It's not that they lead us to questions. Questions are good. It's that they might lead us to miss what God is already doing because we're looking for God to do something completely different. Expectations are a pretty tricky thing. Uh, There was a great uh, comedian many years ago, you may remember him, Woody Allen. And he had certain, as a Jew, certain expectations of God. And one was that God was going to basically fix this world and fix this mess. So in one of his comedy routines, he made this observation. He said, God, if in fact God exists, the best that can be said about him is that he is an underachiever. Well, because he's looking for something more, something different. Or perhaps you've heard this story um, uh, years before I was ever in school. One of the most famous theologians was a guy in New York City. Uh, Paul Tillich became so famous um, that Time magazine like named him like you know prominent theologian or whatever. So he, he began to make the cocktail circuit there in New York City, and everybody wanted him on the guest list. But what they, some of them wanted to do is they'd come up to this famous theologian. They thought they'd stump him. They'd say, you know what, Dr. Tillich? I don't believe in God. And so Tillich would say, well, tell me about this God you don't believe in. And they would describe a God of thunderbolts and lightning and revenge and punishment and scorekeeping. All these expectations they had of that kind of God. And Tillich would listen for a while and then he'd say, well, you know what? I don't believe in that God either. Their expectations led them into difficulty. You know, it happens not just in our relationship with God. Doesn't it sometimes happen in our relationship with other people? We have specific expectations that if my wife really loved me, she would give me this present. If he really knew me, he'd know he wouldn't have to ask what I want. We have those in our relationships of people. Sometimes we have them with God. Our intern liturgist, Chris, has has taught me uh, a saying about um, expectations, that often expectations are resentments and waiting. Or in a parallel phrase, they are premeditated resentments. You know, we set somebody up for something and then we will hold it against them. And our expectations work the same way with God. We expect of certain things of God. And, And by the way, John the Baptist expected things that were in the scriptures. That's what's fascinating, but there were other things in the scriptures that he omitted from his expectation. And he was set up to resent this Messiah who wasn't going to bail him out. I think, as I mentioned, every Christmas I get these expectations, first of all, of God, that finally this is the year when God waves God's Holy Spirit wand from heaven and everybody comes together. 
and everybody gets along and peace finally comes. And then when it doesn't, I wonder about God. Or I have expectations for other people. This is the year. This is the year they'll finally get along. This is the year they'll see the light of a particular situation. Uh, And then when it's not, then I think there's something wrong with them. They're missing something in the world. I may have told you before, um, in her most recent book, Brene Brown uh, puts forth the theory that most people are pretty well doing about the best that they can. It's a fascinating theory that even the people who are messing up and, and even affecting your world by it, that maybe they're not trying to ruin your life. Maybe it's the best they can do in a situation. When that uh, was first suggested to her, it upset her, and so she asked her counselor, do you believe that? Do you believe that people really are doing about the best they can? And her counselor said, yeah, that makes sense to me. You know, given their background, their situations, their stress, their, uh, their family of origin, maybe they're doing it. And she said, do you believe Hitler was doing the best he could do? The counselor said, well, given his life to that point and his background, maybe he was. Now, what he did was wrong. What he did was evil, but maybe, maybe that was. And what if we began to release expectations and just had the general sense that what people did, there's probably some reason behind it? And what God, and that, that thing's going on with God, that maybe it's not the way we want it, but maybe God is there anyway? And then even the worst kind of expectations, all those that we have of ourselves, that somehow this year we'd be perfect. You know, this year I'm going to go to the family reunion and I'm going to be the most wonderful combination of Santa and Jesus. You know, maybe, maybe it's time to let go of that. So do we get rid of all expectation altogether? Is that what Jesus wants from John? And I would have to say, I think the answer is no. I think what Jesus would want from John and what I might suggest we would do is that you, don't, that you give up specific expectations that, that um, encourage other people, including God, to do the world exactly the way you want the world done. And you replace it with an expectancy that God is going to do what God's going to do. And it may not be exactly what you've called for, but God will be there working in the midst of it. Or maybe your spouse or friend or co-worker will do maybe not what you expect, but they will do about the best that they can, and they'll do something that will be positive. So maybe it's not a matter of giving up a sense of expectancy, but maybe expectations that are so specific as to actually hurt our relationship with others and make us miss God's presence. Because one of the interesting ways to think about it is brought by the late New Testament scholar Fred Craddock, who said, probably in Jesus' day, the best way to describe their belief was that when the Messiah comes, there will be no more suffering. So if the Romans happen to burn down your village, you might say to them, don't worry, child. One day the Messiah will come and, and they won't attack us anymore. And he said, But when Jesus came and you watched him as the Messiah, you realized it's no longer where the Messiah is. There is no there will be no more suffering. It gets changed to where there is suffering. There the Messiah will be. What John missed is that even though everything didn't go his way, it didn't mean that the Messiah wasn't there and that he wasn't working, that he wasn't present. When we are suffering and struggling, maybe it doesn't mean God's not there Maybe that's really like sending out the bat signal for God anyway. Maybe the suffering is what 
activates the Messiah's presence in our life. And then I wonder this. I wonder sometimes if we have the expectation that God is going to fix everything from heaven for us without us doing anything. That's an interesting expectation that our brothers and sisters who are Jewish, including our Messiah, would not have had. They would have understood that God always wants to work with us and through us for what God wants to do in the world. In fact, they would say this, if you pray for something... By offering a prayer to God, you are offering yourself to be an answer for that prayer. So if you're praying this Christmas that there'll be peace on earth, then you're basically saying, God, I'll be a part of that. I'll be a part of relationships that are reconciled and that are authentic and that are unconditionally loving. I'll do my part. God, I wish this Christmas the children would have food to eat. Or I pray that you're not, but when you pray that you're offering God who needs food? Where can I bring the food? We, we offer ourselves to actually be part of the answer to our own prayer. There's an expectation that God will work, but there's also or an expectancy that God will work, but also God has a general expectancy that we kind of jump in and work along with God. Even, and this is what I think Jesus wanted John the Baptist to know, even if it's a difficult time for us at the moment. There's a great story from a couple centuries ago about a lamplighter in England. And his job was to light gas lamps in a particular neighborhood so that they would have light in the darkness in the evening and at night. The interesting thing about the lamplighter is that he was blind. And then he never got to see the light that he would bring for others. And sometimes we're like that. Sometimes God calls on us to bring the peace or the hope, or the help to someone else, even if we are not at the moment completely enjoying that ourselves, it doesn't prevent us from being a part of that for somebody else. The expectancy is that God is going to work, but the other expectancy is that often God's going to choose to work through us. Do you remember the book, a couple decades old, old now, by Robert Fulgham, Everything That I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten? And in this book, he, in one of his essays, he talks about a guy he met from Greece named Alex Papaderos. Alex grew up in World War II Greece, and there weren't many toys to play with. So one of the things Alex find, found to play with was a side-view mirror of a bombed-out Jeep. And so what he did is he took this broken piece of mirror, and he used it as a toy. And the way he used it, he'd start holding it up to the sun and start reflecting light. Now, at first, he's a little boy, so he's going to, like, stick it in somebody's eye or something to, I mean, make the light shine in their face or whatever. But after a while, it became more challenging to take that mirror and reflect the light into holes that are dark, around corners, down alleyways, and soon what he started to do as he played was to take light and try to put it into all the dark places while reflecting with his mirror a greater light. Papadera said, I had no idea that that would end up being the metaphor for my life, to try to take the mirror that I have and reflect a larger light into places of darkness. My expectancy is that God does not intend to leave our world in darkness. My expectancy is that God intends that more and more light will be brought into the dark places of this world. And my expectancy is that you and I are meant to be a part of that.
Pray with me. We bless you, O Lord, our God, for you have given us light. And you have called that light the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I pray that you would encourage and strengthen us to share this light into the dark places of our world. This we ask in your son's name. Amen.